welcome to the C3 Camden podcast. For more information about our church, please visit www.c3camden.church. We are so thrilled that you're listening today and we hope you enjoy the message. Um, So today we are continuing through our series on the book of Acts. Um, Today we're going to be kind of doing a little bit of an introduction to a new character for some of you. Some of you will be very familiar with this character, but it's just introducing uh, the character of Paul or Saul, as he was uh, referred to in the book of at the beginning of the book of Acts, into this story and how he fits in. We're going to be looking at it in context of the bigger story of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Um, so. We're going to be taking a little bit of a detour off that, though, because I think that it's um, it's been really in my heart to really be honing in on this question. We're talking about the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Um, sorry, the transforming power of the gospel. Um, but to really hone in on this question of what is the gospel? And I think it's a really important question to ask, particularly now. Like what is the gospel to our community currently? What is the gospel to a town that is flooding for the fourth time in six months what is the gospel to people who are feeling uh you know that the church can't be trusted in the current climate what is the gospel um to the some of those in the midst of some of those culture wars that pastor Owen talked about last week so i really if we're not going to be doing a deep dive and what i'm going to going to say and, and i guess a bit of a um disclaimer um, is that we're not going to be doing a deep dive. Just to, somebody's got their thing off, off, off mute. So just um, if you can just make sure that you've got your thing on mute, that would be great. Um, we're not going to be doing this deep dive into everything theological about Paul and everything theological at the gospel because we would be here for a lot of weeks if we did that. It's a very long. Um, but if I've done my job properly today, I actually hope that you go away with more questions than you do answers today. I really want to encourage um, some curiosity in you um, and maybe a um, maybe for the first time or maybe for the hundredth time just to re-engage with the gospel message um, and to go into that in a way that you might not have before um, in a way that really just encourages you to go on a greater journey with Jesus. That's my pastoral heart for you is to um, go into that with a, a pastoral, uh, sorry, with a, a greater um, relationship with Jesus. Um, so let me just check this because for some reason this is still recording Pastor Ron and Jill's face and not mine. <laughs> as lovely as you'd like to watch Pastor Ron and Jill's face responding to everything I'm saying through this. <laughs> You want me to unmute? You know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you've muted again. So anyway, we'll see how that goes. It's all good. Okay. So we're going to just dive into scripture first. We're going to have a look at how in the book of Acts, we're introduced to this new character of Paul. So if you've got a Bible there with you, I really encourage you to interact with that. If you've got even something that you can write notes on, that would be like wild, wouldn't it? <laughs> to write some notes in a, in a sermon, but um, instead of writing notes, but maybe even just write down the things, those questions that might come as a result of what we're talking about. Um, So I'm just going to share my screen with you just to show you the scripture and we'll read through it together. So we're going to be um, picking up. Can you guys all see that screen okay? 
give me a thumbs up beautiful we're going to be picking up where we first hear about this character of Saul in the book of Acts so it's Acts chapter 8 verses 1 to 3 is the, the first time that we we hear we, we're introduced uh, to this character Saul um, and it's just after the stoning of Stephen, who was one of the um, apostles. He'd, he'd given this, this message to, um, and that a lot of people didn't like. And then here was this character, Saul. And it says, Saul approved of their killing of him, him being Stephen. So Saul was here. He was approved of the killing of one of the, the apostles. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all, ex um, all except the apostles who are scattered through Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned um, deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So in this way, this this picture of Paul going from house to house, dragging people off. The, the language that's used here is almost like a... a, a a savage animal like going in and dragging people away it was very very violent um, and and quite intense so this is our first introduction to this character of Saul and then it takes a little bit of a detour through the beginning of uh, through the rest of Acts chapter 8 and then we go into um, Acts chapter 9 which it's not going to let me do let me just stop this and do it again <coughs> So this is picking it up in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 20. Now it is quite a large portion of scripture, so I'm just going to read that out. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing, down, breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all that call upon your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Paul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. So here we have this story, this introduction to Saul. And what a turnaround that you see in this story from our first introduction to just that, that moment when, when Saul's off preaching the gospel, or Paul's preaching the gospel there. Um, some of you may or may not have heard of this character, Saul or Paul. Saul was just his Hebrew name, his um, Jewish name. Paul was his Greek name, if you like. Um, same person. So you might see him referred to as both of those names, Saul or Paul. Um, he planted over a dozen churches after this, this time. He authored 13 books of the Bible. He took the message of Jesus to, to Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people. He performed miracles in Jesus' name. Um, and he was eventually martyred for his faith. But before Paul was saw, Paul was, um, sorry, but before that, before his conversion, who was he? Who was he before we know him as these, this amazing man of faith that, that helped birth the, the early church? And we know that he was a Jew, but he was not just any Jew. He was kind of the top of the class kind of Jew. He was um, a Jew who was um, had been trained well all the way through his childhood, adulthood. It says that he um, was a man of zeal. He was a Roman citizen, so he had status and he had power. Um, and he was well known prior to this moment, prior to his conversion, he was well known for persecuting the church and supporting this persecution of the church. So we can, we can guess and we know he was there when Stephen gave this, um, this message of the gospel and Paul was there. We know that prior to this moment, he would have heard the message of Jesus. He would have heard this gospel message and he didn't like it. He opposed it. Um, and he believed that they were blaspheming, that they were against God and that they were leading people astray. And he had the conviction that he was doing the right thing in persecuting the church, in, in putting a stop to them. He was doing the right thing. But something about this moment clicked for Paul. Something about this moment, it's like the penny dropped for him. Something about the information he'd heard before, the messages he's heard before, something made it stick and it was here in this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus that the penny really dropped for him. So Paul himself he goes over this uh, this conversion story this this um, experience that he had on the road of, to Damascus he talks about it at several different places in the New Testament you can go and have a look for that you can search for that but he himself says that the thing that turned him around was this gospel message, was this gospel message. And he said, this is the gospel message that I received, that I heard from Jesus, and it's the gospel message that I preach to you. This was himself identifying that in this moment, this transformation of himself came because of this gospel message of Jesus. Now we could kind of move on from here and go, isn't that amazing? He had this like 180 turnaround and we could, you know, we could say, you know, God uses anybody and God can take the, you know, the most person who's most opposed to him and use him for his glory. And that's all true. But I just kind of want to pause here 
for a minute. Because if we're asking this question, that it was the gospel of Jesus that turned Paul around, that had this huge transformation in his life, then I think it's good for us to ask this question, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? You know, it might sound like a bit of a funny question for any of you who might have been around church for any period of time. You might say, of course, I know what the gospel is, Edwina. Like we, you know, I grew up on this or I I know what you're talking about. But if I was to ask you, if I was to go and to take you off mute each person and say, give me a little summary of what you think or how you would explain the gospel, even just amongst the people who are here, there would be different um, explanations of what the gospel is or what you believe the gospel is. Does it mean that we're going to heaven when we die? Does it mean that our sins are justified? Does it mean that, um, you know, does it mean that the the poor and the the oppressed are are raised and, and that everyone is given equality? What is the gospel message? You know, when we look at this moment in Paul's life, and we see this amazing transformation, there was something about this message that arrested Paul. There was something that changed, completely changed his life, his direction, his purpose, his position, his attitude, his behavior. It changed everything. And it was the gospel that Paul later went on to preach. But I think that if we really look at it, we might be surprised that maybe, it might not, but maybe, it looks a little bit different to the way that we might understand that term gospel today. So I'm going to just unpack that a little bit. Um, So first, I just want to spend some time just going back and saying, well, what does this word gospel mean? Because language is important. Yeah, language, sometimes we can use the same word, but we can have all these different understandings of what that word means. So just looking at, well, what does this word gospel mean? Now, gospel means good news. It was a a Greek word, euangelion. You can all say, I was going to get you to all say that out loud just to have you like sound funny. You can say it in your own lounge rooms if you want to say it. Euangelion, it feels quite nice rolling off the tongue. Um, And in fact, this word, euangelion, it wasn't a religious word. It was mostly kind of a political word. Um, And it meant to bring news about a great event to bring good news about a great event. And so um, in some sense, it might have meant to bring good news about a victory or bringing peace. So the citizens who were around, the people who were there in, in Jesus' time and in Paul's time, when they heard this word, euangelion, this good news, this gospel, they mainly saw it in relation to Caesar, who was kind of their king, the ruler of the day. Now, when you look back in some ancient manuscripts and anyone who's like into kind of ancient history like I am, um, there's there's actually um, there's manuscripts, there's inscriptions that talk about this gospel, this euangelion of Caesar or or um, in relation to Caesar. It says things like this, that Caesar was the juice filius. He was the son of God, the Lord and savior and prince of peace. Now, does that sound familiar? <laughs> There's ancient, ancient inscriptions that say this, the birthday of the God, which was Caesar they were referring to, was the beginning of the world of the glad tidings or the good news, the euangelion, that have come to men through him. 
Now that sounds really familiar to a verse that we often use. We hear it around Christmas time, you know, that Jesus came with glad tidings and good news for all men. But this was in relation to Caesar. And as a Caesar couldn't rely on his Twitter feed to just get the news out there at the time, um, they would send out these evangelists, preachers, out to the far reaches of the empire to spread this euangelion or this good news that Caesar had defeated the rebels, that he'd unified the empire, that he was the son of God himself, that he was their Lord and their savior and had come to rescue and deliver them and to usher in this worldwide era of peace and, and justice. Again, does that kind of sound familiar? Basically what they were saying, this good news, this euangelion is that Caesar is king now. Caesar is king. This is what it looks like for Caesar to be in charge. This is Caesar's kingdom or his rule is here and this is what it's going to look like to be a part of it. And then the people who heard this good news had a choice. They had a choice. Well, they thought maybe they didn't think they had a choice because being on the wrong side of the choice probably wasn't very good for them. But they had this choice whether they would respond to the gospel whether they would repent, whether they would change their allegiance from the king that was before or the system that was before to this new system, this new kingdom, this new Caesar, and believe the gospel. So you see this word euangelion was a royal announcement about a king, about a, about a kingdom. So this was the context in which Paul was talking about this word, this, this euangelion, this thing that transformed him. But it was a euangelion, the good news of Jesus, not of Caesar. And I think that this could lead us to the next question. Well, if, if we had this good news that Caesar preached, that, that Caesar wanted to spread, what was the gospel that Jesus preached? What was the gospel that Jesus preached? And John Mark Comer, who a lot of these thoughts kind of come from that I'm speaking about today, he's one of my favorite preachers other than Pastors Ron and Jill, I must say, <laughs> um, is that he says this. He said, if we don't ask what gospel Jesus preached, we could end up with the gospel that Jesus didn't preach. If we don't ask what's the gospel that Jesus preached, we can end up with the gospel that Jesus didn't preach. So what was the gospel that Jesus preached? Well, I'm going to share a screen, share a scripture with you, <clears throat> because we can read in the the Gospel of, of Mark, which means the the good news according to how Mark put it down on on paper. We, it's it's one of the four Gospels in the New Testament, and he kind of summarizes it for us. He says this. He says, and it, you can see the title there. It says Jesus announces the good news, or Jesus announces this euangelion says, after John was put in prison, that's talking about John the Baptist, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news or the euangelion of God. And this was it. This is what he was proclaiming. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. And then there was this response that he invited people to respond. He said, repent and believe the good news. The gospel message of Jesus was the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. 
So I say thanks, Mark, for putting that into a nice little summary for us. And then Mark goes on to explain through the whole gospel, the whole gospel of what he wrote, of what this looked like, how Jesus walked this out, what he said, how he preached, everything that he did was was showing people, telling people, inviting people into this place where he said, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. So I want to just break that down a little bit because that could be quite confusing. It's like, what are you talking about, Jesus? The time has come. The kingdom of God is here. So what? What does that mean? So Jesus was saying that the time has come right where he was in this moment. It, it, it suggests that there was an expectation of something happening. There was an expectation of the listeners that something was coming, that something was happening. And there's this connection to history, the connection to the whole promise and prophecy of the Old Testament and the life of Israel and the Jewish people. And this is why I cannot talk about this and go into a deep dive in this one in this one moment, because we're talking about this whole history of the Jewish people and their expectation that there would be this Lord, this Messiah that would come and that would deliver them and save them and be a bringer of peace and justice and equality for all. And they saw that the gospel message of, of the rulers of the day, of the kings, it wasn't cutting it. It wasn't good for them. It wasn't good for their people. It was great for people who were at the, high, the top end of the, the status and the power, but it wasn't good for all their people. And they said they were craving and yearning and waiting and expecting for this new king to come, this new kingdom to come. And so when Jesus said the time has come, he was saying everything you've been waiting for and expecting was coming to fulfillment in Jesus himself. This idea of a kingdom, what does that mean? We don't use that word very often. Maybe if you watch Game of Thrones, you might have heard it thrown, thrown around a bit, but none of you have watched that, I'm sure. <laughs> but just what's this idea of kingdom? Jesus here, when he said kingdom, he meant the reign of God, the rule of God, the range of God's will, his effective will, the sphere where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And as, as it looked like this euangelion that Caesar would preach, Jesus was saying, this is what it looks like when God is in charge. This is what it looks like when God is in charge. This is his kingdom. And they were waiting on pins and needles to, for a king to usher in this kingdom that would bring in love and peace and justice to all. And then Jesus said that the time had come near. He was saying, it's arrived. It's available. Israel's story had reached its long-awaited climax. It was fulfilled. All God's promises and prophecies were coming to pass in Jesus. It was this new order, this reign, this new way of doing life. It had arrived in Jesus and it was available to all, to anyone who wanted to live in that way of life. This was the gospel message of Jesus, that the time had come, that the kingdom of God was here. It was this royal pronouncement. And this was the gospel that Saul initially opposed. He didn't like it because he liked the system that he was living in. It felt like a threat to the system, to the way of life that Paul was living in. But something in this moment tipped the scales for Paul. 
the penny dropped. He got it. He understood it. He saw Jesus. He saw the whole story of Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his enthronement, all of it. The entirety of it was this good news. It was what it looked like to be in this new kingdom. That Jesus really was Lord, that he really was this Messiah that they had been waiting for. And in that moment, Paul's mind was changed. His allegiance switched. And he said, yes, this is, it's true. I believe it. And my allegiance is now to this Lord and Messiah of Jesus. So this pronouncement, this royal pronouncement, it came with a whole host of benefits and things that were readily available, things like salvation and forgiveness and freedom and peace. And it came with a whole host of, I wanted to find a different word, but of demands, of things that were required of people to say, if you want to live this life, this is what it looks like. This is what it will mean. It will mean changing some things up. So it came, this pronouncement came with benefits and things that were available and demands or things that were required of people who wanted to live this new way. And it came with this invitation for people to, to participate. And it required a turning away from the old ways of thinking and the old ways of living. So I wonder, if we just take a moment here, does that sound like the gospel messages that you have heard? Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. I think sometimes, I know growing up, I grew up in the church and I, I think back of, well, what were the kinds of gospel messages that I heard? And I think in, often in a really well-meaning attempt to present the good news of Jesus, sometimes we take these benefits and these demands and we package them up and we offer them as the gospel message, but they may not be the gospel message in its entirety. And I was trying to think of a way that um, would help to illustrate this. And I wonder, you might be able to pop it in the chat and I'll be able to see rather than everybody coming off mute. Do you have a favorite TV series or book series that you have seen it's in its entirety, that you've seen every episode of, you've read every book in the series? What's your favorite one? Just pop it up in the chat. What might be? Could be a Netflix series, could be a TV series, could be a series of movies. What would be your favorite one? <clears throat> Let's see what pops up here. There's no judgment here. If you do say Game of Thrones, I'm, I'm with you. I've seen it too. It's okay. <laughs> so we've got Lord of the Rings. A few for Lord of the Rings. Star Wars. Yes, Star Wars. Any others? What have we got? Jack West Junior Book Series. Yes. Big Bang Theory. Yes. I know Judah, my son's just been going through Young Sheldon, which is all of the backstory of, uh, of the Big Bang Theory. We've got the Tom Clancy books. Jill says, call the midwife. Yes. So there's these series of things. Love Comes Softly book series. Yeah. So who knows? For those, for, who knows? For those people who have seen the entirety of those series, um, if you're trying to explain that to somebody, if you're trying to explain that and they say, you say, oh, it's so amazing, like Star Wars, such a great, such a great series. 
But then people try and jump in on the last movie or on like the... That's, see, Star Wars is a weird one because you've got your third movies, that, the three movies that have just come out that are the ones that are before the originals and it's all over the shop. And I know, I know some of... Um, my kids have been watching, you know, this, the Mandal Mandalorian series and things that even go even before some of the, or in between some of the Star Wars things. And who knows that when you jump in on a series, like on season three or season four or get them out of order, you can appreciate it. You can kind of go, yeah, that's really good. But I don't know about you, but for me, I'm like, I just don't get it. I don't, like, I don't, who's that character? And where's that subplot? And then I'll be watching it with other people. I've been to uh, several uh, Star Wars movie, at the movies when they've just come out, and I'll be sitting there, and we always have a joke about this with Paul, but there'll be a crucial moment where something happens, and the whole crowd's cheering, and I'm just like, I don't get it. I, who is this? Why are you so excited? I don't understand what you're talking about. I kind of get the plot. I kind of get the series. I can appreciate it. Hey, it's a great movie. It was entertaining. But I'm not excited about it like you guys are because you get the whole picture. And I feel like this is kind of how um, sometimes we can understand this gospel message Sometimes we can package up the subplots or package up, you know, series four and, and present it like it represents the whole series. And they're important things and they're important parts of the story, but they're not the whole story. And so I, that's, I guess I wanted to spend the rest of our time together just quickly looking at some of those where sometimes we've kind of packaged up the subplot and we might be communicating it or understanding it as the gospel, but maybe it's not this whole picture of the gospel as Jesus presented it. Now, when I say this, when we go through these things, I know some of these things might be challenging to our thinking. Um, and I, I said, that's great. We need to be challenged. We need to think about why we believe and why we say what we say. Um, so I'm going to have a look at four common gospel messages that are sometimes packaged up as the gospel, but maybe they don't really align or sit with this big picture message of what Jesus was saying the gospel is. Um, so I'm going to just share my screen so you can see that. Um, so a lot of these, again, come from, um, I'm very thankful for the summarization of, of John Mark Comer who put these together. The first one is this evangelical gospel. This is the one that I probably grew up hearing the most. Sometimes it's called the John 3.16 gospel. And it, it kind of this summary is, is kind of how it goes. It says, you are a sinner going to hell. God loves you. Jesus dies on the cross for your sins. And if you believe in him, you will go to heaven when you die. I wonder how many of you have heard a similar gospel. And I would say to you, it's not wrong. It's not, a, it's not a, a wrong gospel. But if you look through this gospel of, of what changed Paul and, and what um, the early church was preaching and even what Jesus preached, you'd be hard-pressed to find that series of um, package, I guess, that, that subplot in the first gospel message of Jesus. And so I'd say it's yes and it's so much more. There's so much good about this message. There's so much good about this message. 
Um, but there's also some things that maybe if we take a closer look at it might not be the complete picture. John Mark, quote, John Mark Comer, he actually, I'll read this quote because he said, salvation for Jesus, so the, the gospel message of Jesus was not about just getting us into heaven, but about getting heaven into us. It's not about going up there, but it's about heaven coming down here. It's not about a transaction, but it's about a transformation. It's not about just the transformation of individual souls, but it's the transformation of entire societies. It's not just about what God wants to do for us, but what God wants to do in us. Not just about what happens when we die, but what happens when we live. Not about going to church when we are saved, but it's about being baptized into a family of God with God as our father and other followers of Jesus as brothers and sisters and our familiar allegiance. So this is, like I said, is the gospel that I grew up with. And as a, especially as a teenager, I sat there and I thought, that's great. I've got this plan for when I die and when I'm going to heaven. But I remember thinking to myself, but never being able to verbalize out loud, what does that have to do with the now? How does that change things now? And it's a really good question to ask. So it's all stuff that's true. And I thought, well, great. I, I know how to deal with things if I stuff up. But it seemed to only lead to, uh, to sin management, to managing this problem of sin. There seemed to be a disconnection from a life of discipleship, the everyday following Jesus and, and bringing heaven to earth, not just worrying about where I was going to go after I died. So that's one form of the gospel that is not wrong. It's just yes and it could be a bigger picture than that. The second one that you might have heard is what is commonly called the Reformed Gospel, which goes a little bit like this. God is a perfect, holy, and just God of both love and wrath. You are morally guilty before him. God's demands must be kept. You cannot possibly do it, but Jesus did it for you on the cross. Hallelujah. That is a really common kind of package of how the gospel might be uh, proclaimed or put across in, in a reformed gospel way. Again, there's a lot of good stuff about this. It talks about the concept of justification, which I don't have time to go into today, but that means about that Jesus did do it for us on the cross. Jesus um, was able to put his righteousness in that moment over to us. It has this great emphasis on the cross and the things that that meant that whole that whole time of Jesus' life and just how significant that part of Jesus' life was. It's not scared to talk about moral guilt and having demands on us in in a life as 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 living as disciples of Jesus. But we could say that again, it's just kind of a package. It's it's kind of a subplot that's sometimes packaged to us as the gospel. Sometimes this kind of way that the gospel's packaged can kind of beat on, beat up on us using effort as part of um, our discipleship. And of course, we know that we don't earn our salvation, but Jesus consistently called us to be to participate in it and to be part of walking out this discipleship and being part of a, of a new kingdom. And that sometimes means changing our behavior, changing our thoughts, changing the way that we do things. So we're called to participate again in this area of discipleship. John Mark Comer says, sometimes this message, 
we're not seen in the bigger picture, we can become produce, we can become consumers of Jesus' merit rather than disciples of Jesus' way. Something to think about. The third one, really quickly, is this idea of the prosperity gospel. Some of you may have heard this before. It's kind of packaged up like this, that there's financial blessing and physical well-being and that they're always the will of God for you. God loves you and is for you. You are his child. Through his death and resurrection, he won the victory. His victory is your inheritance by faith, victory over sickness, over poverty, over failure, and the best is yet to come. Again, I would say, yes, and it's so much more than that. You know, what this, um, what this gospel does well is that it, it emphasizes that God is a loving God, that he cares for us, and that he's not just a God there up in the sky who is angry and, and vengeful and, and just thought, well, I have to save human beings because I, I need to do something about it. Um, but <laughs> I wonder, it, it kind of has this emphasis on the, the up and up, that things are always going to be better every day if we have enough faith, if we claim the inheritance that tomorrow will be better today than today and the next day will be better after that. And I wonder whether this is actually good news for everybody. Is it good news for people living with chronic illness? We were talking about that before. Is it good news for people who might be walking with mental health issues or those who are financially struggling or who are going through life just making ends meet or for those who've been through trauma and need to walk a long path of recovery? Sometimes this way that the gospel is packaged up, it can deny grief and it can deny pain and it can deny the hardship that we go through and it can deny things like lament that we were talking about before and disappointment and pain and it can be pretty avoidant to situations that demand any kind of self-sacrifice or suffering. So yes, it's got so much good in it, but it's and, it's so much more. And this last one, before we finish up today, is the social gospel. This is something that Pastor Rowan probably um, preached on a little bit last week, so you can check it out there. But it says, Jesus was this political revolutionary who came to liberate the poor and marginalized from the hierarchy of oppression, that he was killed as a threat to the status quo of the empire, that he inaugurated a kingdom of peace and justice and equality, that Jesus is on the march now as he was then, just to stand up for those who abuse power and to liberate those who are on the margins, and that somehow the church's role in that is an activist role, is a fighting role is something to bring um, justice to in every sphere of life that we, we um, find ourselves in. And again, I would say yes, and I'd say and, that the actual gospel message of Jesus is so much bigger than that. We heard from Pastor Rowan last week that um, you know, we're not necessarily called to the fight, to fight and to, to be this activist. There's so much good things about standing up for the poor and marginalized. One thing that this gospel does well is it calls out things like racism and sexism and classism and militarism and all of those things. They're good things to call out. They're good things for us to, to know what does that look like in the kingdom of God. 
but it is a lot bigger than that. Sometimes just having this social um, gospel can, can uh, I guess, move away from making any firm lines on, on what is right and wrong and, and what are we called to morally and what is it meant to look like um, in this kingdom of God. So all of these gospels that you might have heard bits and pieces of or you might have thought, yeah, that's that's the gospel in a nutshell. I just want to challenge you today that maybe it isn't the gospel in a nutshell. Maybe it talks a lot about the benefits of the gospel or the demands of the gospel. But is it fitting underneath this bigger umbrella of the gospel that Jesus preached? Is it fitting underneath this bigger umbrella of the gospel that transformed the life of Paul in this 180 degree turnaround? Is the gospel that we are committed to and living for and preaching the same gospel of Jesus that said that the time is here, that the kingdom of God is near? So I want to ask you today, what is the gospel to you? What is the gospel to you? Are you allowing this full story of Jesus to arrest your life? Or are you surviving on the one season? Are you surviving on season four or season five or the subplot? Or are you looking at, well, what does this mean? What does this kingdom of God mean that was here in the life and the death and the resurrection, in the ascension, in the full story of Jesus? And I want to maybe just challenge you a little bit of that if you've got questions around that, well, what does that look like? What does that mean? I really want to invite you to go back just as Paul had this experience with Jesus in this moment on the road to Damascus. I've been praying that you too would have this transformational uh, experience with Jesus by going and experiencing and interacting with the full gospel message of Jesus. So what I want to encourage you to do, rather than have all your answers, all your questions answered in this moment, is to go back with the view of Jesus' gospel that the kingdom of heaven is here and what that means is him as Lord and Savior. And to go back and to read one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, in its entirety, to look through that lens, maybe rather than a lens that you've looked through before, to look through this lens of what does it mean when Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is here and that it's available for me to be a part of. To go and to read the whole story of Jesus. If you want a hint, Mark's probably the shortest one, so go with that if you want a short way of getting through it. But to go and to read the gospel message again and to allow Jesus to meet you in that place and to transform you and to transform your life um, into uh, joining him on this this um, expression to the world of what this kingdom is look like what this kingdom looks like what does it look like when God is in charge what does it look like when he is seated on his throne which Jesus says that he is so that's my invitation to you over this next you know over the school holidays over time is to go back and to read one of the gospels from the beginning to the end and see the whole gospel message of Jesus to this week's message from our church. We pray that you feel empowered by what you've heard today. We hope that you can stay connected by following us online. You can find us at C3 Camden on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube or visit our website at www.c3camden.church You always will be